Raul R. Ramos brings you his emotional, raw, and inspiring autobiography following along with his uplifting journey from street gang life in South Central Los Angeles to earning the rank of Master Chief in the United States Navy. His one-of-a-kind story is certain to motivate and remind you that you control your destiny, no matter what hand you were dealt. How long have you been in the Navy? Oh, me and Blair made life. I'm Jamie Britt. And I'm Heath Britt. And together we are E-14. We have 40 years of Naval service. And each week we discuss a potpourri of topics, which we like to call smoke pit topics. These are real world topics that concern us, our marriage, and our Navy with a sailor twist. So join us each week as we dive into the deep end. Booyah! Hey everyone, welcome back to E14 Podcast. I'm Jamie Britt. And I'm Heath Britt. And together we are E14. Let's give that disclaimer just in case. Okay. I fuck it up when I try to do it. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of our own and not the United States Navy, our respective commands. Which you're the only one with a command now. Yeah, I'm the only one. Welcome everybody back. Hey, we got with us Master Chief Retired Raul Ramos. I mean, freshly retired. March 31st, that was it, right? That's right, man. Hey man, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, How many dude, years did you did you serve? Uh, Twenty four years. Oh wow! Yeah, and but you made Master Chief in like seventeen. Uh, just under eighteen, yeah, seventeen and and some months, just under eighteen. It's pretty impressive. I just I have a question for you. So you you've been on a few carriers as I, as I know, and uh, yeah. there's three fl- uh, flavors to the AB rate. Which one is the best? Which one's the smartest? Uh, hands down, E, man, ABEs. <laughs> no, nah, no, nah, but I, I love all my ABs, man. Uh, E's, F's, H's, but, you know, I'm, I'm an E at heart, so yes, I, right. I bleed green, man. Yeah. I hear you, brother. And then out of all the, you know, I've been on a carrier, one one carrier out of my five ships, and then I did uh, air stations three different times. Cool. So all my shore dudes have been in South Texas at the training bases between Corpus and Kingsville. I'm sure you're familiar with 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 them. Oh yeah, uh, but but always a lot of ABs there, ABHs and E's, and I think one F. They don't really have a billet there, but there was one filling a general billet there. But I always felt a bigger kinship toward the E's just because of y'all's maintenance y'all do. You guys are maintenance intense aviation rate. Oh oh yeah, man. Uh, maintenance is a is a big part of our rate. Uh, it kept us up many hours throughout the night on deployments, twenty four seven, six seven eight months at a time, bro. I understand that. Definitely. You guys were always pumping. And, you, you know, then on shore duty, y'all had the E-28 arresting gear, which kept these guys busier than hell. And even for a shore duty, the guys stayed pretty busy. Quick joke, though. Well, not a joke, but a story that's kind of funny. I was doing a uh, retirement speech for ABEC that retired back in 2017. I think I just picked up uh, Senior Chief. Anyway, I had some H's in there, and I like to pick on the H's, just what I do. So I, I asked the, a question. Uh, at the at the uh, ceremony, I asked the audience, "How do you become an ABH?" And everybody's like, well, "You know, I don't know." I said, "Well, they put a rock in your hand. If you can remember, at the end of the day, what hand the rock was in, you become an ABH." <laughs> <laughs> My ABH That's guys didn't think one. it was they didn't think it was funny, but the crowd thought it was pretty pretty funny. Yeah, anyway, I'm sure they didn't like that at all. Yeah, <laughs> too funny. Well, everybody, we got Raul Ramos, as I mentioned before. Man, he is. 
he's my new damn hero, man. He's a mm-hmm. former gang member deep into the, we'll get into the gang membership a little bit, deep into the gang life. And then he had an epiphany. Let's join the damn Navy out of everything <laughs> he could do. And it went right. from there. Could you please introduce yourself real no, quick? Just, no, absolutely. Uh, yeah, no problem. I'm Raul Ruben Ramos. Um from Southern California, born and raised Los Angeles. I have two beautiful children. Uh, my daughter's 25 years old, son is 13 years old. Uh, I've been, uh, I served in the Navy 24 years before I retired, March 31st. And I am the author of the newly released book, Essay to Master Hefe. Because a lot of people, man, a lot of people get dealt a rough life, a rough hand, and they just live it out the way that society or whoever tells them to, you know, says that's what you have to be. And that's great. That's awesome. And that's what, you know, that's what we always preach as leaders in the Navy. It don't matter. It don't matter what you were dealt. It's how you, it's not matter how the game starts, how the game ends, right? Uh, 100. Absolutely. Right. And uh, let's start it off, man. So I love in this book, you do touch on your, your mom and dad and their childhood and there's nobody started off glorious beginnings. Right. Yeah, man. So how poor was poor? Um, For for my mother, poor was. um, You'll read in the book and, you know, without going into too much detail, I mean, they didn't have running water. They didn't have electricity. uh, They were they were feeding off of the plants they were growing. Uh, You know, they'd have to wash their clothes down in the river, so on and so forth. So my mother grew up pretty, pretty poor. My my father was a bit more fortunate, you know. He had he had some some uh, some good essentials growing up. Uh, had some good family members that took care of him. Uh, but yeah, uh, for sure, my mother my mother grew up pretty poor. And there was an, a little bit. There was some physical abuse, and you know, uh, in that in that life that she lived down in Mexico, and and that you know that's just a trend. You know, it carries on to later in life and all that. But for Raul, how poor was poor you growing up? Yeah, for me, you know what? I, uh, my my childhood, I would describe it as uh, not good, but not too bad, uh, because I know there's a lot of there's a lot of people who've been through a lot, lot worse, who grew up a lot worse than I did. Um, so I I would say that I grew up poor, but not very poor, not uh, uh, not too bad off. Um, but I had my challenges. It was rough growing up. You know, uh, I describe a lot of that in my book, uh, the struggles of being hungry, mm-hmm. you know, the struggles of not having uh, things that, that you need to go to school, uh, you know. Um, yeah. So it wasn't easy growing up. I described that in my book. Like, like I said, I start off with talking about my parents, my immigrant parents and how they came into the United States, their struggles there and then their struggles as an early couple. And then I go into my childhood and my struggles there and and eventually leading into the gang life and and uh, that world that I jumped into and how my made my way over into the Navy and how blessed I've been to be successful and make my way up to the ranks of the Master Chief uh, ranks in the, in the Navy. So uh, a lot of, it's a good story, man. Uh, and I, I talk about a lot of things. I give a lot of uh, advice based on my experience. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot, a lot of good stuff in that book for everyone from all walk for everyone from all walks of life. It's really hard to be the child of, of um, a family that came from Mexico, immigrate, immigrated from Mexico or any country really, because 
uh, as your parents are trying to figure out the country and the do's and don'ts, they're trying to raise you in, in this country. And I know for my family, um, I'm a second generation. So, uh, they wouldn't speak Spanish to us. We don't even know Spanish because they said, no, we don't want you to be uh, made fun of in school. And so um, we just spoke English in our home. No, yeah, I totally understand. And uh, my family was the opposite. They spoke nothing but Spanish in my home. So my sister and I, that's all we knew until about kindergarten. And mm-hmm. kindergarten is when I learned English. Man, that's, a, you know, the people don't really understand that unless they've lived that type of life. But when you're little and you don't know that the language, it's just that much. It makes you stick out, like, you know, makes you different than everyone else. No, absolutely. And I, I can imagine the, the shit you take because I grew up in a normal white family in central Louisiana. But I can't imagine the, the children of immigrants, the shit they take uh, when they hit these school ages. And don't know English. Mm-hmm. Kids are assholes. It can be. That's yeah. right, man. Kids are pretty. They can be pretty brutal, man, for sure. And then they find a weakness, and they'll 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 poke fun at somebody else to keep the heat off their back. So anything to keep the heat off their back. And they see a kid showing up not knowing English. Oh man, that's 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 just that's uh wait low hanging fruit. Did you get picked oh, on? Oh yeah. Did you get uh, fucked up? Yeah, I did. I got picked on a little bit in kindergarten mm-hmm. because I didn't know English, but um, I didn't let it bother me at all. Uh, I remember that clearly. I didn't let it bother me. And I actually picked up Spanish or excuse me, English pretty goddamn quick. Uh, wow. And t- t- yeah, TV helped me out a lot, too. You know, watching those uh, Saturday and Sunday morning cartoons. Yeah. yeah. Watching TV. You know what I mean? So then when I jumped right into kindergarten, I picked up English pretty fast. Uh, math and English in kindergarten. I remember I picked it up really fast. I kind of, again, I mentioned it in my book and I remember the teacher kind of praising me and it felt, it felt great, you know? So I didn't, I didn't mind, I didn't mind the kids picking on me at all. I'm going to, I want to touch on one, one quick story from your book. It's just a little one that really almost, I never understood gang membership because I never a part of it. I was, like I said, I grew up in South Central LA, but it was the Louisiana side, not the <laughs> California, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but the, the way your mom, y'all, y'all wanted this toy. I can't remember what it was. Yeah. And y'all put it in the basket and your mom never put it back, but never paid for it either. That's how she felt about constantly yes. telling y'all, telling y'all, no, you can't afford this, can't afford that. And then I, I started thinking, it's not about power. It's not, I mean, yeah, you, you like the way the gang, the, the facade the gang puts out as far as you know, the cars and the girls and, and the money, but yeah. it's about belonging. Because poor no, I, kids don't yeah. belong to nobody. Mm-hmm. And, and is that true, though? Is that, that's kind of how I, I took it when I was reading your book. No, absolutely. 100, man. You, uh, that sense of belonging that I was missing, you know. Um, and when my father left and, you know, my mother was out there trying to trying to work. And, you know, my sister, I don't even remember, like, seeing my sister around. But, yeah, I was looking for that sense of belonging. And I found that right outside of our, of, of our apartment building. You know, watching the homeboys there, the older homeboys hanging out, you know, in their crowd with their loud music, their, you know, their crispy, clean khakis, dickies, you know, the tattoos, the money, um, you know, all of it. And I was like, man, I want to I want to belong to that. I want to be a part of that, you know, Um, because in your eyes, that was success. Right. At that point in time. Exactly. Exactly. 
Uh, yeah, and then and when you I noticed about when your gang though, you guys, yeah, you had y'all's issues with rival gangs as every gang does, but you guys had y'all had a code. You didn't fuck with people uh, innocent or, or weaker people. It seemed like to me that you guys had a code. Y'all wouldn't do that because y'all knew that'd be hell to pay if you did. I mean, that's how oh. it seems like. Yeah, y'all. I ain't saying y'all were angels by any stretch of imagination, <laughs> but you had you lived by a code. No, no, absolutely. You're right about that, and no, you're right. We weren't angels whatsoever. But uh, yeah, there was no there was no disrespect to innocent bystanders to to children so on and so forth. So there was, there was a code that we did live by. Yeah. That, that always, you know, there's a silver lining in everything. And it, it always, it was like, well, you know what? Yeah. They're not angels, but they try to do the best they could at the, but at the end of the day, it was about the money you had to, you know, we all got to get paid. My sister and I were, my sister-in-law and I were just really talking about this, like with criminals anyways, we're here in New Orleans and the crime's kind of going crazy. And I said, there's always been sort of kind of rules, quote unquote, rules to crime. Like they, you don't just stop in a, in a traffic jam and start firing AK-47s. That's not what you do. That's not how you follow the rules for criminals. So it's kind of, it's kind of interesting to see, you know, the code and how it's made up and, and why did y'all have that? What, what was it that made y'all different? Yeah, a big part of that was, was money for sure. You know, yeah. uh, money. I mean, you're talking about South Central Los Angeles in the 90s era, like the 90s era. Uh, if, you know, if I described South Central Los Angeles in the 90s era. It was a concrete jungle. Right. Mm-hmm. I, you know, there was no grass. There was no green. You know, it was it was dark. It was it was treacherous. You know, so money is like gold. You know, it's like gold to people in South Central LA. You know, there's no jobs. There's poverty. It's it's like a third world country. Wow. Uh, it's, it's how I would describe South Central Los Angeles. So uh, money was a huge part of, of the gang, for sure. One hundred. Mm-hmm. And, and he painted so well in the book that when, in the book, you you paint a good picture of South Central L.A. where you guys would hang out and throw your parties and whatnot. It, it, I could picture a rundown side of town, whatever street, the street that y'all hung out on. And it, you painted so well in my head. It was dark. It was gloomy. And you never knew what was around the other corner. Rival gang, whatnot, whatever. It, it could be anything. Cops, it could be yeah. anything waiting to take y'all out at all yes. times. So you can't get caught slipping. Exactly. But you know, you know what word he used a lot, maybe that I learned from you? Hmm. Chocla. The chancla. <laughs> Chancla's real, dude. Well, watch out for that chancla, man. <laughs> <laughs> you use chancla a lot. It was usually in your mom's hand, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Throwing it at you. Funny. Yeah, oh, yeah. She, oh man, she threw it at me many times. And I, I don't always, blame her though. My I mom always, didn't just have the chancla though. If she was cooking, she had yeah. the wooden spoon. If she was folding yeah. clothes, she had the hanger. <laughs> I always believe that Hispanics, whether they were athletic or not, not born with a pinpoint accuracy with a damn flip flop in her hand. Yeah, I've always believed. After I met you, I didn't know before I met you that I understood. Even like her, her son, our oldest, or my stepson, he, he's good. He's dead accurate. One, he'll throw him at his brother sometimes. Or used to dead accuracy. Nice, scary. Couldn't throw a baseball to save his life. He could throw a damn flip flop or chocolate. But and you have a sister, Lisa, right? Yes, my sister Lisa. Rival oh, gang, yeah. rival gang. And yeah, what rival? But yeah, she was in another gang, right? Yeah, she was in another gang, not a rival gang. She was from a, a smaller gang. You know, they were a smaller gang, but they were pretty hardcore. You know, they were active, and um, 
you know, we used to talk crap to each other, talk shit to each other, you know, whose gang is bigger and badder. And, you know, we got down a few times. We threw some hands. Like I said, my sister's a tough one, man. She, <laughs> she get down with the best of them. So, um, <laughs> but yeah. Was it a big civil civil uh, civil robbery? Robbery, sibling, sibling robbery. I'm sorry, bro. <laughs> oh, absolutely. No, it was. Um, you know, and I, again, I talked. I hate to say this a million times, but I did mention that in my book a lot when we were young, and uh, we we had a lot of hate towards each other, not knowing, of course, right? Like, yeah. uh, um, but yeah, we used to say mean things to each other. We used to fight all the time. And yeah, we just, we just had a hate for each other. Didn't care for each other much, uh, but there was moments where we did, you know, I actually taught her how to fight, like how to street fight. Uh, she already knew how, I think I taught her how to uh, protect herself even better. She remembers that. And she even yeah. used it against me. She even <laughs> used it against me. So, and I kind of worked out um, for her, but yeah, our, our, uh, when we were siblings uh, at a young age, we didn't get along very well at all but now that we're older you know we're more mature we live life a little bit we love each other like i call her every day she calls me we talk about life we talk about our kids we talk about you know the sad times and we cry together sometimes all all of it so it's a a beautiful thing now where was your mom throughout all of this while y'all are members of gangs yes so my mom worked a lot Mm -hmm. um she was at like a lot of dead-end jobs there was temp jobs she was trying to work uh, and then she had several boyfriends that she was out there hanging out with, you know, she was trying to find herself. Uh, so yeah. she wasn't around a lot. Yeah. And, you know, she was really, she was really down in the dumps about my father leaving. Um, and, you know, of course, having to take care of my sister and I trying to figure life out and feed us and give us the things that she could. Uh, yeah. A lot of, a lot of, um, anger I could see being built up in, in her for your father leaving and then you you and your sister just having to find your way in life and survive I mean it sounds like it's a lot of just like uh pent up anger no absolutely and it it came out in so many uh, bad ways you know as I grew up as my sister and I both grew up uh you know you know you keep it bottled up inside so so long you know that that pipe is about to burst right that pressure in that pipe is going to burst so it burst many times throughout my life and um but uh that's the old me yeah you know? definitely before we move on i just want to know what in the when you were in the florencia gang correct yeah. did i pronounce that yes. right okay. oh absolutely <laughs> what was one of the the lowest moments that you can remember being part of the gang life I mean, the lowest moments is, uh, I mean, I can talk about, I can sit here and talk to you about that all day, man. But um, just seeing, seeing the homeboys, the good homeboys, solid homeboys, good people uh, going to jail for a long time uh, or dying, right? Um, or their families being affected, um, uh, the neighborhood being, you know, torn down. Uh, so there was a lot of there was a lot of sadness and a lot of a lot of darkness, uh, a lot of dark moments in, in the hood for sure. Definitely. And then what? Nineteen ninety eight? Is that when it was? Ninety eight. Yeah, that's right. July yeah, so. ninety eight. Yeah. What was the turning point? What yeah. was the spark? Uh, the turning point was hands down, no question. My daughter. You know, my daughter was two. Yeah, she was two years old at the time. And uh, I've always said to myself that, you know what, I don't want to, 
I don't want to ever uh, not be there for my child or my children or my family. I want to be a man and support my family uh, in the right way, in a positive way. And uh, I remember saying to myself, like, you know what, I got to I got to do something in a positive way to not only help myself out and do right for myself, but for my daughter so she can have a better life, so she can have better things that I had growing up. Uh, so she was my spark, hands down. And uh, and that's when I made my way over to the recruiting station in Los Angeles. And uh, I made my way over to the Marine recruiting station first. <laughs> uh, that didn't work out too well. and uh, But the Navy uh, took me in with open arms, uh, totally blessed with, with that experience. How did your homeboys feel? What was their reaction when you decided to go Navy? Yeah, there was a lot of mixed reactions. Um a lot of them were very happy for me, uh, like the real ones, uh, the closer ones to me. They're happy for me. A lot of them wish that they can go with me. You know, a lot of them had felonies. You know, uh, some of them were strung out on drugs. So uh, the Navy wasn't, there was no way they were going to be able to join the Navy. Um, and some of them, some of them had a little bit of hate, and uh, mm-hmm. but I was okay with that. My best friend, uh, uh, his, his name, uh, his street name was Little Man. Him and I were like peanut butter and jelly in the hood. Yeah. but. He, he was sad. He was, he didn't he didn't want to see me go. Yeah. And I, at one point, he also wanted to join himself. But um, yeah, so there was a lot of mixed feelings, uh, you know. But there there was more support than than anything. Well, that's that's kind of funny when you find out who your real who real brothers are. The ones yeah, that are happy, happy as you're getting the hell out of it, and doing something better for yourself, mm-hmm. definitely, Debbie. So yeah. you tried the Marine Corps first, and it worked out for you. Where they tell yeah. you get the hell out of their office. Mm-hmm. In a nice way, they did. Respectfully. <laughs> was that the tattoos? Was it the tats? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I literally walked in with like you know oversized Ben Davis yeah. pants, you know, the gangster pants we used to wear, you know, baggy shirt. I mean, I had the tattoos. I had the tattoo under my yeah. eye on my sideburns, and they're, you know, they were like, "Hell no!" You know, and they were having <laughs> issues. They're having issues with gang members, you know, joining the Marine Corps and getting out, and then using their training out in, in the streets. So. They were having issues at that time. It's my understanding of what I was told. Uh, so yeah, happily they they uh, directed me over on on over to the Navy, and and it worked out. I saw you tried the Air Force, and nobody was there, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> nobody was in their office. They're all playing golf. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. No, that's awesome because you you joined in '98, went did your boot camp thing, and. How did that, I want to know, and you touched on your book a little bit, but not a lot, but the boot camp, you're, you're used to being talked to a certain way. And these dudes are, as you join the nineties, they like your ass up in the nineties. I don't give a fuck oh, yeah. what they say about the Navy. Yeah. They'll cuss your ass out quick yeah. in the nineties. Absolutely. how did that feel, dude? You got like three of them on you at once up in your face. Yeah. That transition was tough, man. I tell <laughs> you, man. I mean, you're, you're talking about two, two different worlds, right? Like South Central LA. And I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm hardened from South Central LA, right? Like, um, you're a punk if anyone gets in your face and, and says yeah. you know, or raises their voice at you and you don't do anything to retaliate. You're yeah. a punk. You're deemed no good. <laughs> All right. So that transition was tough. I mean, right off the bat, as soon as that that bus pulls up to RTC and you know, and that R, uh that RDC comes into that bus and starts yelling, and and of course they get in my face immediately. You know, they, <laughs> they they saw you. They, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they. they yeah, they spotted those tattoos. They're like, oh, you're the tough guy, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I got the business immediately. And it was hard. I, you know, I bit my tongue, but 
but I, I kept my motivation. How'd you do it? Did you bite your tongue? Did you squeeze your toes? What'd you do? Yeah, all of the above. I bit my tongue. <laughs> I balled my fist. I got yeah. shit for that too. My toes curled. Uh, but at the end of the day, I thought about my motivation. You know, that was my mm. daughter. I was like, you know, I got to get through this. You know, I got to get through this. And also, there was a lot of people who didn't think I was going to make it through boot camp either. You know, they're like, ah, oh, there's no way. They had, you know, so I, I had a little bit of motivation from that, from the haters. Um, but the main motivation was my daughter, like, hey, get through this, man. Look at the bigger picture, you know? Yeah. I can imagine because they called me the inbred because I was Adam. I still have an accent, but I was a country as fuck. They're like, oh, you like fucking your sister and shit like that. You know, uh, you know, they're freaking trying, trying to piss me off. I mean, I didn't give a shit, whatever. So I got to ask yeah. the question because I know what our listeners are probably thinking. I've always heard uh, blood in, blood out for the gangs. How did yes. you how did you leave the gang or how did you get to get out and be a part of the Navy? Yeah, I kind of touched on that um, in my book. And um, so every gang is different, right? Every gang uh, is different. Uh, some are more harsh than others. Uh, everyone has a different code. Uh, the fact that I grew up in in my gang in the hood in Florence at a very young age and uh, been through the motions with them, you know, put in my work and do what I had to do. I uh, kind of grew up with them as as brothers, as family. Yeah. Um, so they kind of, re- they re- not they kind of, they respected the fact that I was moving on uh, to better myself and better my family. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't just leave because, oh, hey, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. Or, you know, because sometimes if you know too much or you do too much, you're not just going to mm-hmm. walk away. Uh, but again, they respected the fact uh, that I was going to move on from myself to better myself and my family. So. Um, I wouldn't say it's a free pass, but it's kind of like, hey, man, go do well. I, you know, some of us, like I said, the real ones wish that they could do well uh, also. Yeah. Um, so that's how it worked out for me. And it was just it was in the cards for me. I was blessed that it worked out that way. Yeah, yeah. lucky. Definitely. You didn't have to do the same thing you did to get in that some bitch. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that for sure happens. sometimes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But I want you, you get through school. I know you did your apprentice training. Is that what y'all did back then? Yeah, for, it was uh, called uh, uh, Airman Apprenticeship. Yes. Yeah, Pack Sailor. Uh, yeah, exactly. And so you went to the Nimitz, but you did TAD while you were out on the Nimitz. You went deployment with others. And that's where we, I think we uh, were served on the same deployment together on the Lincoln. Uh, that's you right. Were 2000 deployment, I believe it. Yeah, Is that right? 2000, 2001. Yeah, yeah 2000, yeah. 2001. Yeah, yeah when right. I was on Nimitz, uh, they were uh, we were doing a major overhaul on the Nimitz, so they were sending us out TAD to like every carrier out there on the East Coast and everyone they could to to get us qualified and get us some training. Uh, so yes, I did the deployment on Lincoln. Uh, it was two thousand two thousand one. That was my first deployment ever. Yeah, I made E five on that deployment. Yeah, I was uh, awesome. Yeah, yeah, but the thing about it, when you were on the Nimitz, you said you were in the yards or something. Yes, we were in the yards. Think about an ABE, especially, or any AB rate. You can't learn your job sitting in the yards because you're an arresting gear guy. They're not using yeah. arresting gear in the yards. So that was awesome they did that and sent y'all to learn your rate to these other, other ships that are operational. And the wealth of knowledge you gain from that is, is incalculable, I, I must imagine, because we, as ETs, we still do our rate in the yard. We still do maintenance, you know, do maintenance on the radios and all that, keep it up. But you guys, you have no job. Right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And when I first got to the Nimitz, all of the arresting your engines were ripped out. So there was nothing there. 
Mm-hmm. You know, as you as you said, so uh, yeah, it was great that they were, you know, the leadership did the right thing. They were sending us out, you know, uh, they were networking and it got us out there and got us a training. That way, when we came back and we got the ship out the yards and went around the horn down to San Diego, it was smooth sailing. You know, we, we took care of business. That's pretty, pretty awesome that you, I guess it was awesome that you got to be on a ship that stayed in San Diego. Yeah. What, West Coast. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Have a- I loved it, man. It was amazing. <laughs> I, I was like, Oh I was just super happy. I was going back to the West Coast. Was sure. it hard? Was it hard for you to stay away from your own life, though? Um, no, not hard at all. Um, I did stop by uh, in Los Angeles. Uh, stopped by in the hood in my uniform, and the mm-hmm. homeboys were were happy. You know, the ones that were there were happy for me. You know, you got the hugs, the handshakes, and uh, I stopped by, and I said hello. You know, so um, hard to stay away. It wasn't hard to stay away because I, my mindset was like, hey. This is my thing now. This is my career now is the Navy. You know, um, my focus wasn't on in the hood anymore. You know, um, I've been there, done that, you know, at an early right. age is how, yeah. how I saw it. So, um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't hard at all. And I already knew what was at stake, right? I had a lot to lose if I went out there and I got caught up, you know, and uh, I had a whole career to lose, which would affect my daughter at the time. You know? Yeah, it's true. It sure was very emotional for the guys to see you, you know, in your uniform, all bright and shiny. Um, Rocking that National Defense ribbon. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that one ribbon. <laughs> <laughs> but just to see somebody that got out, you know, and did something. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Like I said, the real ones, uh, they love that. And they, they support that 100. And you for pretty a lot of your career has been on the West Coast. So you've enjoyed that beautiful weather. Yes. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Dang. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. So, but well, you made second pretty fast. Yes. Was I made second pretty fast. Yeah. On the Nimitz, uh, my first tour, I made second uh, in the four years, uh, four year term there. That's good. Especially for a guy yeah. to start out as an E nothing because you didn't get yeah. I got automatically promoted E4. You know, I mean, school is long yeah. as shit, but I didn't have to yeah. take a test for E4. <laughs> but uh, yeah. that's, that's, the, and I know if I remember right, y'all's, y'all's career. Progression is not super fast. It's a tight, um, pretty tight. I can't remember. It's been so long. Yeah. As an E, you know, there's not, I would say back then there wasn't, no one wanted to be an E, right? You know, the long hours, the hard work, the maintenance. Yeah. Uh, so it was, it was pretty wide open, but I really, st- I really stuck my head in those books, man, in those tech manuals. And I had a great mentor, man. Uh, and uh, not one mentor, I had many mentors, uh, but one of the mentors that helped me out a lot. And I talk about them in my book. And I don't want to say his name now. I want people to read right, it, but he, right. he helped me tremendously. And he was a chief at the time. He's now a retired master chief, uh, but he helped me a lot. He helped push me and uh, he helped me in books. I would always pick his brain. God damn, I got on his nerves. And I know I did, but <laughs> you know, I didn't give a shit. I, I wanted to just, you know, I wanted to feed off him um, yeah. and, and, and it worked out, you know, and he appreciates me to this day and I appreciate him. And uh, I caught up to his ass before he retired. You uh, know, uh, he was a master chief, and of course, I caught up to him. It was a great feeling, but uh, he was a key part of that, key part of that from the beginning, from the get go of my career. You know, that's good because you know, if a chief ain't teaching, you might as well just check his anchors in at the door and fucking retire. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. You don't leave from the fucking desk, right? Exactly, man. So when you so you're married now. I know you because, you, you know, you, you came back from boot camp, married, you married your wife. So you're married with a kid. Is That's uh, Emily, right? Your daughter? Yeah. So my daughter's Emily. Yes, we had Emily um, two two years before I went to boot camp. Yeah, we had Emily. And then is Raulito, Raulito, is he is he born while you're in on the Nimitz? 
Uh, so no, my son was born uh, while I was on combat deployment on the Ronald Reagan. Mm. Okay, so he's still yeah. That was, so where was the combat deployment? Was that during what what campaign? So we uh, in their uh, during operation. What were we in two thousand? I don't even remember, man. Uh, yeah, I think it was Operation Enduring Freedom, two thousand five okay. to two thousand ten. Um, but anyhow, he was born while we were on deployment, on um, combat deployment, and um, I'll never forget they when I, that picture came in and and I looked at my son, you know, newborn. Uh, you know, of course, it felt terrible not to be there, but yeah. Yeah. looking at that picture, I was like, man, this this boy is beautiful. No way he's my son. You know, like, <laughs> right, right. So there are a lot of people that don't know when you're when you're on deployment and then you have a, a baby. You're one of the first ones to get off. Were you one of the first ones to get off the ship when you uh, I came back? I didn't take advantage of that. Oh, okay. I didn't. Um, actually, I, if I remember clearly, I flew off in Hawaii. Uh, and that's why that didn't happen, if I remember. Um, I flew off in Hawaii, and uh, we did a little, you know, uh, get-together thing. Uh, my ex-wife my ex-wife and I. Right. That's the way it is, yeah. especially on these West, West packs. And I did a couple of them on the Lincoln. When you come back, you get a, like 10% of the crew can take leave when you pull into Hawaii. That's I know yeah. I took advantage of that once, too. And then they fly yeah. off the air wing before they go to San Diego, all that stuff. And then you pull into port, and that's, you know, the other half go the other people going to leave once you get back in the port. Mm-hmm. I always like that, Benny, because you could be, you could be on leave and then, you know, everybody else is still out to sea. <laughs> felt pretty, yeah, felt, felt exactly. pretty good to take advantage of that. So you did the ship. Did, then you went to uh, Monterey. Monterey. Now I'm going to tell you about, I picked, I almost had orders there once uh-huh. uh, at the postgraduate school. I was an E5 coming off my first ship. And that's what a detailer wanted to send me. But I started Googling like Monterey and it was beautiful, but shit was expensive. No, yeah, absolutely, man. And, and you missed out, man, because it is it is beautiful, uh, expensive for sure. It's kind of reminds me of San Diego a little bit, you know, yeah. beautiful and expensive. But yeah, I had a great tour there, man, in Monterey, my first shore duty uh, with the linguist, Navy linguist, right? CTIs. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, you know, I, I originally thought I was going to show up there and scrub toilets on shore duty, you know. And uh, <laughs> yeah, next thing you know, I find myself in. Uh, leading the Navy military training program there for future linguists, which was awesome. Great experience there for sure. That's so you, you did, I'm, I'm uh, assuming you did Spanish. That was your, that was your forte. Oh, actually, uh, no. So it was a general billet for me. So I wasn't in the language program. Okay, so I was there. It. So the Navy military training program was there for the linguist uh, before they jumped into their language course. Got so, you know, it. we taught them. Okay. Yeah. We taught them general military training, you know, we did the whole PT thing, all that. So it was kind of like an extension from boot camp, a transition from boot mm-hmm. camp, Navy military training, and then they jumped into their to their language course. So those assholes get to go to school in Monterey? <laughs> uh, right? How lucky. I give them shit Damn. about that all the time. Uh, I love my CTI. So, right? Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Damn. Spoiled wow. as hell. <laughs> Spoiled. I love I love my CTIs though. I love Yeah, them. they get yeah, they're they're a little weird, but they're good guys. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to talk about you making chief. Okay. I know how I felt when I made chief. I mean, it's you can't even put it in words, but I want you to try. But you came from a little different background than I did. You came from shit, running, I mean, and running with gangs to join the world's strongest navy, to making the uh advancement to chief petty officer, which is no easy task by any stretch of the imagination. 
first of all, you had to survive your rate first, which is not an easy rate you're in. And then you make chief. Tell me about that, man. Oh my, man. I, I can't describe it in words, man. Like it, it's that feeling. I'll never forget when the skipper came on the one MC we were on, on deployment, uh, combat deployment, that same one in 2008. And my name was called the feeling. Uh, I couldn't explain, I can't explain it, man, but I remember the goosebumps like from my toe all the way to the top of my head, man. And just this overwhelming feeling. And then I felt this overwhelming feeling here in my chest. I was proud. I was happy. Uh, I was excited. You know, I tried to play it tough and like I kept it inside a little bit, but man, uh, it was the best feeling ever, man. Aside from seeing my kids born or having my kids, uh, that was hands down one of the best feelings I've ever felt in my life. It's hard to believe. It's hard to 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 speak about the accomplishment you feel after hitting that milestone for sure. And I know how I felt it, but I can't imagine like you said coming from where you came from and and doing it. That means you're not just good at your job. You actually took the Navy in and and did what you had to do, despite what thoughts you had before or how you treated people or how you did your business before you joined the Navy. You conform to the way the Navy does it, and you succeeded. Because I, I that's why. Like we're asking you about how you reacted in boot camp when they were getting in your face. Cause all that stuff is a challenge. Oh yeah. Especially somebody coming from your childhood and your upbringing. And I just, I remember when I read, I read that, you know, obviously I knew you were a master chief. It's on the title, but, <laughs> but when you talk about you made chief on the, on the Reagan, I just like, man, I, I bet he had to feel accomplished. Oh, absolutely. Like, it, it felt amazing, man. Uh, again, I can't describe it. it. It was a great feeling hands down. And, uh, uh, you know, you kind of mentioned boot camp and how how that was. It, the discipline, man, definitely contributed to that. The discipline that I learned in the streets, um, in the hood, you know, because they 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 instilled discipline in us, right? And and if you didn't have discipline, you will be disciplined, right? Yeah. Uh, so I, I kept my discipline, and again, I carried that on into boot camp and all the way through my through my career, the best I could, right? Mm-hmm. Best I could, and, and it worked out, you know. Yeah, yeah, it did. Obviously, it worked out pretty good. I want to rewind. I want to rewind real quick to your first, your first ship on the Mestex. Another Hispanic dude looked at you cross-eyed. Oh, dude, yeah. I, I thought it was funny because I don't want to get too much into it. But when you went straight, you went you went street for a second there. I mean, right? You went you went street. So what was going in your head? Did you have flashbacks? Did like, did you have like non, not non-flashbacks, obviously, but like, like a, almost like it's a like soldier's, muscle memory, like a muscle memory kind of like, dude, I'm about to fuck this dude up. Did, did you think absolutely, that? Absolutely 100. You know, there's this saying that they say, um, you can take the boy out the hood, but you can't take the hood out the homeboy or yeah, the boy. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Hands down. The gangster came out of me. No bullshit. Um, you know, I was minding my business. It actually happened on the Lincoln. You know, they uh-huh. sent me TAD over there. And it probably was literally know that. Like I probably a, know that fucker. <laughs> you probably do. You probably know a little punk ass. Um, but it would like happen right away. It was like days. I think it was days. Like the first week there, man, and me and my buddy, my little mentee, uh, George Fierros, uh, we we're walking through the Mestics, man. We walked through the Mestics. We we're getting ready to eat. And uh, there he was sitting on his little table with his little homeboys there, you know, and you can see it was like a little Hispanic crowd. And I just felt the eyes on me, you know, in the hood, we call that mad dogging, right? So they were mad dogging. Right? So I'm walking. So I give that mad dog back. Like, hey, I ain't no punk. Like, you're not going to mad dog me. Yeah, the gangster was already starting to come out there, right? Unfortunately, sadly, but I'm keeping it real, right? And I remember, I, 
yeah, I came around and I had my tray. And then he came up to me and he's like, wait, like he hit me up. Like, like, where are you from? Like, you know, I was like, what the Whoa. fuck? Like, this is <laughs> gangbanging on me. This is straight gangbanging on me on a damn Navy warship. You know? like, damn, so, Yeah, on a Mestex. So I told, I told him the deal. You know, I told him where I was from and I let him know. And, you know, and it started from there. It was just, you know, a little pushing here and there throughout the whole deployment. And, uh, you know, a little, we, you know, roughed each other up a little bit, nothing too serious. and. And that was that, you know, at the, I think at the end of deployment, he kind of came to a little bit, you know, he had some issues with some other guys that I was hanging out with, but he came to, and he was trying to, you know, I'm trying to calm down and, and be cool. And I was just like, whatever. I just kept it moving, man. It didn't yeah. bother me. That's why I let J- Jamie know that he's, that guy was from Texas. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he, he was from San Antonio. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jamie's from Texas. Uh, Houston, Houston side, not San Antonio. It's H Town, H Town. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, H Town. H Town's pretty, pretty hood. I heard too. Yeah. Yeah. She's from she's from the 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 redneck country part. South. Yeah. Yeah. Like her town's probably got like what's not even don't have a stoplight. It's got a blinking red light. Mm -hmm. Yeah, little town. So, um, but you kicked ass. You kicked ass in the Navy, man. You did. You proved it. You know, you made chief, made senior chief. Lost a little bit in the home life, though. As you said, you said in the book, you took a lot of that. You took a lot of the blame. I, you know, I get it. Trust me, I've been there, man. It happens, happens to the best of us. But it's hard to take all the blame. I mean, I noticed, I read that, I took that, you took all the blame. And I remember thinking that, wow, it ain't, takes two to tango, bro. I don't think, I, I think you did what you did. You had a goal in mind. I'm going to keep my, take care of my family. They're not going to want for shit. And I'm gonna do what I gotta do. I'll I'll suffer to make their lives a little better. Shit happens though, right? You know. No, I appreciate that. Yeah, that's 100, man. And um, I still feel like that, man. I really do. And uh, but I know, you know, it affected my daughter a lot. Mostly my daughter more than than my son. I mean, she was going through some hard times while I was out there on deployment, especially when I was on the Reagan from 2005 to 2010. We were never home and uh, she was going through some hard times and it affected her a lot to this day. And um, I just hope that one day she comes to and says and uh, that, you know, I was gone and I was gone for a good reason. You know, I was, I was gone serving our country. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, doing a good thing so I can provide for them and give them the better things in life. Uh, and my son, didn't, you know, he doesn't understand too much, but he, he knows I was gone. But uh but yeah, I, I still feel like uh, I owe I owe it to him. You know, I know I owe a lot of you can't get that time back, but oh, I owe true. a lot to him for being away. Yeah, because it's true. You know, the life that we we led, Jamie's still leading it. You miss a lot of firsts. Mm-hmm. You miss a lot of firsts. Absolutely, there's a lot of firsts you miss, and you can't you can't get that back. There's no doubt about it. You That's just, why I think we all get so emotional when they read the watch at a retirement. Did they read that at your retirement? The watch. Um, I, I didn't have a retirement ceremony. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, I did. you know, part either. of it says, uh, and sometimes he would cast his eye ashore and see his family standing there needing his hand to hold through those hard times, but he still stood the watch. And that is so powerful because you see your family needing you and you still have a mission to accomplish. You have a commitment that you have to see through. And that is, it's emotional. 
And you know what? Oh, they yes. always they always pick some guy that has like a reverend, like a preacher voice to do it too. And everybody, there's, hey. not, a dry, there's not a dry eye in the place. Even the daggum 28-year masterpiece are freaking choking up. For real, the, man. That's true. It gets me every time. I've read it several times, and I got to I gotta compose myself because it's sad. Especially Hell when yeah, you, you – and the wife and the family is always on the front row, and you see them tearing <laughs> up. You're like, God dang it. God damn. Yeah. yeah. It hits you right here, man. Right yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Every and, time. And the worst part about all that shit, because you missed a lot because you were in you were happened to be in Virginia at the time. And but something good came out of it though. You're you're running some bitch, aren't you? Oh yeah, man. I, I love the run. <laughs> yeah, you talk I about this. How many marathons have you ran total? I, I I ran one marathon, but I've I've run a lot of races. Um I just love to run, man. I love to run for fun. It, it's therapy for me, man. Uh, you know, that's that's my time out from the world for, for me, you know. Uh, you know. I put my headphones in, turn my music up, and it's just me and, and my music. And that's it, man. I just go, man, get that runner's high. Yeah, It's all good, man. And I know we were – I'm not so much anymore, but me and Jamie used to be big runners. We would run – I mean, I would never did marathons. We'd run – let's go run six miles a day. Let's go yeah, run. Well, I mean, Christmas Eve, we ran eight miles one Christmas Eve, nice. you know, just for yeah. the hell of it. I kind of lost the passion for it recently, but it used to be a big passion. So I definitely understand that the therapeutic part of that. You just kind of forget where you're at, ask far and just and just run until you just burn out on running. Then it, it no. makes the yeah. makes the day better. No, absolutely. You know, Jamie used to smoke my ass. Yeah, when I well, I I ran in Djibouti a lot, and then when I came back here, it was a lot easier. You know, oh, no yeah. camel carcasses. It wasn't a million degrees. She got back, and uh, I'd be I'd whip her ass before she got back. She was beating me by like we'd come to a say a three mile stop. We're stopping at three miles. She's done. I'm a minute behind her. It came out of nowhere. It was crazy. She was a beast. She was a beast. What was before you got into running? It was a pretty sad time for you, right? I bet it was hard to. What did work affect you a lot? Oh, absolutely. It was, it was work. It was work. Um, and then of course, uh, you know, separating from my ex-wife and the fact that I wasn't going to be around my kids anymore, you know, sure. That was, that was happening on my, that was my first, my second short duty. Oh, it was my second short duty, uh, where I really started getting serious into running. So my second short duty, you know, the fact that I was losing my family, yeah. you know, um, and uh, it it got really rough for me, you know. Yeah. Uh, and of course, work. You know, Monterey was no joke, man. That, that was a training command, so it, it was stressful, you know. Uh, but uh, yeah, that and life and everything else going on. And I was like, man, I gotta, I gotta do something, you know. And and running for sure uh, was my savior, man. It's a good mental uh, health, uh, you know, release. Oh, absolutely, one hundred. Uh, in my opinion, yes, one hundred. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. If you, yeah, if you, it keeps you in shape and it keeps you from twisting off too hard. Basically, I want to hear about that deployment, your COVID deployment, because that's kind of what almost prompted you to write this book, right? I know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That COVID deployment, uh, hands down, one of the, one of the toughest deployments, if not the toughest deployment of my career for, for many reasons. Um, the fact that it was my third ship back to back. And then as you know, in the Navy, three ships back to back, uh, is, is not easy, man. You know, just, just a mental stress on that alone. Right. You know, three ships back to back, uh, we're on deployment, right. COVID hits and the world is upside down. Right. 
on the ship, the sailors are stressed out. Everyone's stressed out, right? Main reason they're stressed out is they're worried about their families back home. We're worried about our families, or our kids, our loved ones, you know, what they're going through, what, you know, are they sick? Are they not sick? What, what, what they're suffering through. And then all the sailors uh, and Marines that I was on making Island. So it was sailors and Marines stressed out. They couldn't get their hair cut can work out in the gym uh it, it was tough it was a tough deployment really tough we couldn't hit ports so everyone was stressed out you know the leadership did a great job uh with what they could um and, and then you know trying to open up those relief valves uh, on those on those pressure pipes you know but it was tough initially and it got really tough and um towards the end of deployment and i also had a lot of anxiety built up so i'm gonna back up a little bit a lot of anxiety built up because um, it was my turn to go to shore duty, right? Uh, I've yeah, been yeah. waiting for these. Yeah, I was like, I was in my window to go to shore duty. I'm like, man, three ships back to back. I'm ready for shore duty. Uh, you know, we reached out to the detailer. The command reached out to the detailer and said, hey, if there's anything possible that you can do to to keep Raul Ramos in San Diego uh, to be close to his kids, it would be more than appreciated. So, you know, the anxiety was was high because I know my the billets for ABCM, a master chief ABCM, yeah. are slim to none, man. The, the higher you get, uh, the less there are. <laughs> absolutely. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of stressors going on, a lot of anxiety. And so that's why I say uh, it was one of the toughest, if not the toughest deployments uh, in my mm -hmm. career. And, of course, life and a whole bunch of other things. But those are just a few things. And, um, you know, I said to myself towards the end of the point, I was like, you know what? Uh, I've been told over the years that I need to write a book um, by, by, again, more people that I can um, mention or talk about. But uh, social media was my friend. Throughout the night, I would get on social media. I had this idea that, hey, I'm going to write this book. And I reached out to my friends on Facebook. I'm like, hey, I'm thinking about writing a book. What do you all think about a title? Help me out with a title. What, what are your suggestions? You know, and I, I had a whole bunch of comments on that one post I'll never forget. And uh, my buddy picked one of them that was pretty close. His 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 suggestion was "esse to efe." I was like, yeah. "All right," yeah. and uh, so that's good. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty close. And that was the winner. That's the guy that I picked. I was like, "I just said esse to master efe," and um, and it went from there. Man, I started writing away, man, uh, throughout the night. Uh, like you know, things calmed down a little bit. Shut the door, cut the light off. The only thing that was on was the light at my desk, and I started writing away on my paper. Man, it was literally a pen and pay a notepad and i was like all right i'm gonna write everything that i can remember from the beginning of my life starting with my parents all the way to the end and i did just that man and uh, next you know i'm on a word document and then also in the middle of the night on my rack i'm in my phone i'm remembering things i'm writing bullet points i'm like okay i can expand on this i remember that oh hey when i get back from deployment i gotta clarify this because i don't remember this so it was a process man but within two weeks man from the time i started writing on that note notepad within two weeks i was like done writing the story man wow. uh, you know like yeah within like two That's weeks awesome. and it was the tail end of deployment got back in may late may and when i got back in late may like the first two weeks from deployment getting back home and i reached out to a couple friends some family like hey remind me of this or hey refreshing my memory um yeah man so it was a hell of a process and i gave it over to my editor uh, my good friend uh, joni horton uh uh, who also served, and I met her uh, when she was in Monterey, California. Uh, she was a CTI, a linguist. Uh, handed over to her, man, and it was that was all she wrote, man. It was awesome. And 
How long from start to finish did that book come out? Once you decided, hey, I'm going to do this with your little lamp. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was. I was blown away by how quick it, it, it came out. So I started in May of 2021 is when I started. Um, I handed the book over to Joni Horton May, June-ish, like June. Uh, she gave it back to me in the tail end of 21. And the book released February 8th. Wow. I was, wow. Yeah, I was blown away. I was blown away. Um, I thought it would take longer than that, but it released February 8th. And uh, it's a funny story. I didn't even know it was released. Uh, wow. But, wow. you know, we can talk about that another time. Yeah. Um, or we can talk about it now. It's up to you. But, um, yeah, it, it was uh, less than a year. Uh, less than a year it was released. So. Well, That's I totally how you know it was a story everyone needed exactly. to hear. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. What do you? I do want to talk about it. What was it? You didn't even know it was released. You're the yeah, damn author. Absolutely. You're the author. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. You're right. You're right. So no, I used a self-publishing company who helped me. Right. Uh, they're a great self-publishing company, Book Baby. They're awesome. Uh, once we were done with our manuscript and uh, my cover, everything was done. Handed that over to them. They did their magic. Uh, and, you know, they shot me a couple emails saying, hey, your book is, you know, going to drop so-and-so date, so on and so forth on these platforms, so on and so forth. Um, but I must have missed the memo and I don't want to bash them because they're awesome. They're amazing. I must have missed a memo or something happened. <laughs> but anyways, it was February. It was like February 9th or 10th, I think. And my best friend, little man, his name is Juan. He's like, hey, bro. He's like the, the homeboy shadow, man. He said that uh, he saw your book on Amazon, man. They're ready to, to, to buy it. I'm like, what do you mean you saw my book on Amazon? You mean for pre-sale? He's like, yeah, it's up there. It's like, it's, it's there. I'm like, stop playing. <laughs> so <laughs> I get on Amazon and sure enough, it's like, it's there for, for pre-order. I'm like, oh shit. Right. So I think this yeah. was like a Friday night. And then I get another call. It's like, Hey man, uh, your book uh, is up for sale on Apple Books. Like you can get it in ebook. So I'm starting to get all these calls. I'm like, oh shit. So I'm panicking, right? Because I want to get it out on social media, on every platform. Like I want to get it out there. I wanted to get my, you know, my little blurb I was going to say and all these things. So I'm like, oh shit. So I was kind of upset, but I shouldn't have been upset. I, I was upset and happy, you yeah, know, and yeah, excited. Yeah, yeah. It was just a good thing, man. And, um, you know, I talked to uh, Book Baby on Monday and, I missed the memo. Uh, so it was, was kind of <laughs> on me, you know, but it was great, man. It was awesome. It was out there. And, uh, and here we are, man. It's, it's doing great. Thank goodness. Wow. Yeah. I'm glad to hear it's doing great. I know that um, one of the, one of the Facebooks I shared, I, had, I got a few calls from either Navy buddies or their, their spouse that I, we all knew each other. Hey, uh, when's it coming out on Amazon? Uh, Cause it was, you know, we were waiting for it to, it took a little wait until April 6th or you could order it yes. on Amazon. <clears throat> and I said, well, no, here's the, I should delete the book, book baby. Yeah. Several people, yeah. people were like, were really in, intrigued with the story, mm-hmm. especially they're all got young kids and they, you're a great example for, for kids, whether they grew up from a, a privileged childhood or underprivileged childhood, you've definitely, you got a great story to tell. Thank you. I appreciate that, man. And, um, you know, uh, when I thought about getting this book out, I, you know, my, my primary target was at risk youth you know, mm-hmm. um, that, that walk my shoes that are walking my shoes or, you know, uh, but my book is for people from all walks of life from, you know, from poor, from rich, 
you know, law enforcement teachers, counselors, military, ex-military. I got something for everyone in that book. Uh, so it's versatile. And uh, yeah, so happy to hear that. Thank you. I appreciate that. No, uh, no great job. And uh, I hope it, I hope you sell a million copies, man. Yeah. I, I hope so do. too. Thank you, man. <laughs> That'd be great. So I know that I know there's no doubt you've touched a lot of sailors lives in your lives in your 24 years. Um, do you remember anyone specifically that maybe wasn't uh, kind of came from the same background you did that you were able to connect with as a master chief or chief? Um, you know what? There's, I would say I can count those on maybe two hands that, that mm-hmm. kind of um, could relate to my lifestyle and I could relate to theirs. I don't want to, you know, put any names yeah. out there, but there was a, a good 10 of them. Um, and uh, to this day, they reach out to me and, you know, Hey, the thank you. You know, I appreciate you for listening to me or, or giving me the guidance. And, and that's the best feeling in the world. I, I love it. I love it when I get that, that text or that Facebook message or, or whatever. And, you know, they thank me and, and I just say, you don't have to thank me. I appreciate it. Don't thank me. Just pay it forward, you know, and yeah. uh, just, just, you know, keep moving full speed ahead. You know, I'll see you at the top. Yeah. Um, you know, cause I'm, yeah. I'm a recruiter. So I see a lot of, uh, a lot of different types of backgrounds um, and kids that really need it, re- really need the Navy and all of this. And it's just, I bet that to have someone uh, to have a leader that's walked through those shoes and made a success out of their life is everything to that one person you know no absolutely i totally agree with you i mean um you know you kind of you emulate them you want to you want to be like them and it's like man you just it's like a magnet right you you stick to me like damn i want to do what he or she's doing Mm -hmm. i want to succeed like he or she's been succeeding i want to know what he or she's been doing to make it to the top or to be successful in their career so yeah absolutely so i know i know i've been asked this a couple times you ever think about maybe reading this thing and releasing this audible? No, absolutely, brother. Um, you know, obviously that takes a little bit of time and it money. Does. You know, um, you know, I I just retired so March thirty first, so I've got a lot going on right now, right? I bet. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is my first podcast. I again, I appreciate y'all, man. This is awesome. awesome. Uh, but I have a lot going on in my life right now, and uh, I'm trying to juggle everything. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to bite off more than I can chew right now, but it's coming. Eventually, it is. And uh, I think, yeah, I, I get that request a lot as well. It's like, oh, hey, you? man, get your voice on there. Yeah, yeah. And I want to do it with my voice, right? Like, I yeah, wanna, definitely. I want to do, do it with my voice. And again, that's going to take a little bit of time and money. You know, I've gotten a lot of requests for a Spanish version as well. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'd love to do it too. It, it's, you know, it's it's 15K minimum to do something like that. You know, Holy I'm shit. not, yeah, I'm not trying to say, oh, hey, I'm not doing it because of the money. I'm just saying that. It costs a little bit of money, you know, yeah. so, yeah. you know, there's, you know, there's 15K I can use on other things right now, especially just retiring. Uh, but I'm going to, it's going to get there. It's going to get good there deal. for sure. So, good, yeah, good deal. absolutely. So one last question. No, I have a last question. Oh, <laughs> no, I do. No, I was going to say. It. All right. So, you know, 24 years you spend in the Navy, your children are, are grown up or, you know, older now and, and. What would Raul Ramos say to the nineteen ninety seven version of Raul Ramos, who's looking and feeling angry and just spinning in all different directions? That's a great question. So, what would I say to him? Um, are you talking about what would I say to him as he enters the journey into the Navy? Yes, or, or just uh, you know that lost feeling before that 
you know, before you realized what you could do with your life? Um, I would tell him that first he needs to find a mentor, mm -hmm. a mentor that he wants to be like, uh, a mentor that he wants to emulate, right? A mentor that he, that could help him personally and professionally. I think that helped me tremendously in my career, um, in my life. Uh, so that would be the first thing I would tell him. And, um, and also that, Hey, uh, there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel, but you got to put in the work, right? No one's going to give it to you. You got to go out and get it. And there's a lot of good resources, a lot of good people in this world that will help you get it, but you've got to do your part as well. Um, and I would tell them that I'm living proof that no matter where you came from, no matter what struggle you've been through, um, what trouble you've been in, that you too can succeed and accomplish anything and everything you want in any profession um, in this world. Wow. it's awesome. I'm not going to ask my question because you just <laughs> overshined it. <laughs> <laughs> that's not that that's a great deal. ending statement. That was awesome. <laughs> but to our listeners, we just spent the last hour or so with a hell of an American, Raul Ramos, the author of Essay to Master Hefe. Awesome book. I highly recommend it. I don't give a shit who you came from, where you came from, or how you grew up. This this book, you'll find something in this book that's going to inspire you. Thanks again, brother, for uh spending time with us today out of your busy schedule. I know you got a lot of shit going on, and I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. No, thank you. Thank you both for, for having me on. I appreciate you. Much love. Much love, brother. And uh, we're going to close out. If you could hang on just two seconds, I'd appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. With that, we wish you fair winds. And following seas.